Church, this is a really uh, good day uh, that you can know that God has been faithful, uh, not only to us as a church, um, but in that, our response in just uh, being here amongst and being new is to say, man, as much as God is faithful, calls me to be faithful as well. Um, and so as we've been talking about um, neighboring, uh, we're talking about this idea of how does, what does fear play uh, in our neighborings. And I went to the gym earlier this week. Um, I've started to try to get into a new habit of being there like at 6.30 a.m. Um, not because, I know Matthew's like, what? That time does exist and the Lord is over it. Um, <laughs> But the one reason, I'm an extroverted person, but at the gym, I just want to go in there, and I like people watching, but I just need to get in there, and I need to get what I need to get done, and I need to go back and get the day going on. And so that morning, I'm sitting there, I'm on the elliptical, there's not really anybody there in the morning. They had just extended their hours, and so I think some people had gone before, and I'm the only one on the elliptical, and I'm about five minutes in, and then have you ever had this in the corner of your eye, you see somebody, and you just get that feeling. They start walking up, and there's about 20 25, 30 other machines that could be used, and they stand in the one right next to me. I have to remind myself that I'm a Christian and that I'm a pastor. And, but everything, these are running through my heads. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with this person? And my fears go everywhere. I was like, mm, should I move? I'm five minutes in, right? Should I ask them to move and to give me space, right? I think that's appropriate these days, right? And then I was like, you know what? Maybe, like, uh, then the fears get a little deeper. I was like, man, COVID's been on the rise. Does this person have COVID? They're not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> like, ghost symptoms start coming up. I'm shortness of breath, <laughs> right? Like, all of a sudden, and I'm like, ah! And then I go this, and I go, this is the, this is the worst fear. I'm like, do I know this person? Do they know me? And I'm just such in a stupor in the morning that I just can't even take it. I just, all of a sudden, I was just like, and then I thought about this one. And this is where the, the sarcastic part of me comes in. And I go, you know what? Does this person not know the men's stall uh, etiquette? Do they not know the etiquette of what happens when you go into a You do not stand next to the person that's using if there's four other ones next to you. You just don't know it. I will educate them later. Um, but it was this moment that all of a sudden fears are running through my mind. And I'm just like, I've decided that I'm just going to try to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to rest on me and to not move and not to make it awkward. Um, and, but at the same time, I thought, as I'm thinking about this whole time, and Jesus never leaves me alone when I'm working out, he's like, you're talking about this fear today. We're talking about fear, and somebody walks up next to you, who you've seen before uh, um, at the gym, and they sit next to you, and like, why is this fear rising up in you? And then as I thought about that, you're talking about fear this weekend about neighbors, and I thought, you know, it's not only like the irrational fears that we have about the world and about things that are going in it, but we also have irrational fears that cause us to want to create distance and space from our neighbors. And so as I thought about that, we, this, this thought that we want to talk about today is if fear is the thing that keeps us away, creates space, makes us retreat into our own comfortable habits in our neighborhoods, then the thought came to me is like, if fear is going to live in our hearts, then there is no way that you can know and love people. 
You cannot love people you do not know. Plain and simple. You cannot love people that you do not know, do not have intimate knowledge about, or a relationship with. You can't. And so this is what we're talking about today. And as you think about your neighborhood right now, as we talk about it, we're going to share stories. But I want to get into this text that is uh, pretty interesting to hear how Jesus and fears are playing in the people um, in his day. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 5, this is verse 27. So if you have it uh, in front of you in your Bible or on your phone or it'll be on the screen, would you read this with me? After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. Neighboring. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why in the world do you eat, that's my translation, and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered him, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And if you translate, I'm going to do a little liberal translation. You know, if if I was a Pharisee, and I was going to translate this into the Austin Bailey uh, new, new version, it would say something like this. The Pharisee, like, why are you eating with those people? Right? Like, we don't even go into, like, details of who they are. And the right, you know, like, we know, it's like, why are you eating with those people? Like, why would you go near that area? Why would you live over there? Like, why would you hang out with those neighbors? And I was thinking about it. In, in our history of living in Texas and in Connecticut and even Chicago, we've had some neighbors. And we've had one of the, those neighbors. Uh, in Texas, we were living in a house, the first house that we had bought. And when we had bought it, we didn't know that across the street from us was a house that uh, was for rent. So renters lived there, not people that owned it. And we were like, oh, that's fine. We lived in Chicago, and we'd been near renters. But we had a terrible experience with the first renters. And they had left, and we were so kind of like hopeful, but also yet fearful. And then when the people came by to move in, I sat there like looking through the window at those neighbors. And I was like, are those neighbors going to be the ones that have so many cars in their driveway that it makes it hard for me to get out of my driveway? Are those neighbors, uh, are they going to have cute kids? Oh, those neighbors have teenagers. Ugh, right? Oh, those neighbors, are they going to be the ones that take care of their, their yard and take care of the house so that it keeps my house value up when it comes time to sell? Oh, no, they're not. Ugh right? Are those neighbors going to be the one at 1 a.m. that have bright spotlights glaring into our bedroom window as they gut and harvest a hog that they had just shot? Are they going to be those neighbors? Yes, they are. True story. Uh, But this was the funniest thing. Like, I had all the fears that we were thinking about, like, right, are they going to be bad neighbors? Are they going to be good neighbors? Like, who are those neighbors going to be? Before we had even met them, we had watched and peered, and we had made up our own judgments about who those people were. 
How many of you had those type of neighbors where you're just like, mm, they're those neighbors, and I just, mm, I don't want to have anything to do with them. There's so many fears that were running around our head about just the fact that we had renting neighbors next to us. People that weren't invested in our community, weren't really there for the long haul, which told me a lot or what I thought was a lot. But then I get to this text. And as I sat here and thinking about what does it look like, there's an interplay here between Jesus and the Pharisees. And you're Austin like, Austin, how is this text about neighboring? Because there's this interplay. There's an interplay between Jesus and the Pharisees. Two main people at play here. Two ones that are driving the conversations. Jesus is eating at the table with a new disciple that he has called to follow him. And that person has not said, hey, I'm going to cast everything away and follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and invite all my friends. I'm going to invite those people over to our house. And the thing is, like, it wasn't—it didn't seem like an open invitation, but it seems like Pharisees and scribes are there. I don't get that. Like, have you ever had a party, and you've invited people, and then, like, those that you didn't invite just show up anyway? Like, that's kind of weird, right? But these Pharisees show up, and they are not happy. The interplay that they play with is they're living in fear, saying, who are those people, and why Jesus? If you are the Messiah, the one we have waited for— Why are you hanging out with them? But then Jesus, on the other hand, is sitting and lounging and eating and conversing and sharing in the hospitality of Matthew and his other tax collectors. He is in his interplay with them is love. And as I thought about these things, about how the interplay between fear and love, they just don't mix. You see the divide, the juxtaposition between Jesus and the Pharisees and the disciples who, like you and I, are sitting here listening to the religious and to Jesus and saying, the religious are saying, why can't you hang out with those people? And Jesus is saying, why wouldn't I? And this moment is so beautiful. But that fear, that fear that is keeping them away. Did you know, like as I was thinking about this fear, that 365 times in the Bible, the word says something in the phrase of do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Comes up so many times. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. I am here. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Like, do not be afraid. And yet so much of our lives is built around this sphere of fear of those people or that thing or this area. But Jesus in his word is saying, do not be afraid. And Jesus is not just saying, do not be afraid. He's living it out. I'm not afraid to sit and eat with these people. Do not be afraid. And so we have this position of don't be afraid and fulfill the great commandment. They don't mix. To love your neighbors, you can't be in fear. Do not be afraid to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And do not be afraid to love your neighbors as yourself, even those neighbors. And then, and then Jesus' best friend, John says it best, and I'll let him say it for us. That in John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says this. There is no fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
fear. There is no fear in perfect love. And so I think about this neighboring and the things that keep me in isolation away because I have this perception about what might, like the Pharisees, this group of people, my neighbors, might look like, might operate in as I look from afar, have no intimate knowledge really about who they are as I stand back and I make all this fear build up. It reminds me that there's no way if fear is the barrier to which I build up, it's the good fences that make good neighbors— I think Jesus disagrees with us. Good fences don't make good neighbors. And not just physical fences, but the fences that you build up around your neighbors of the irrational fears that you don't know about who they are or what they do. And that was true for me. That was true for my renting neighbors. That as they... um, moved in and started to interact with our neighbors. We saw them come and go. got to see a little bit about who they are. Um, A spring day came, and like spring days in Texas, they bring incredibly huge thunderstorms. And sometimes not always in the day, but in the middle of the night. And if you ever get to be a part of these big thunderstorms, it feels and sounds like, and I'll tell you this is true, you ask some other Texas people, it sounds like a freight train is coming through your window. Like, all of a sudden, the wind is howling, the thunder and lightning, the rain is hitting, and all of a sudden, we wake up about 3 a.m. to a, you know the sound, in the, in, of a tree splitting, you know, and it is so loud. The wind has pulled it apart and pulled it in half, and we wake up, and I look out, and this tree in front of my yard has landed on my car. 3 a.m., and at that time, I was working at Starbucks as well, and I had to be there at 4. And so as a good husband and a wonderful co-worker, I went to work. <laughs> leaving my wife and newborn child at home to fend for themselves. And you know when trees fall, it's loud. Our neighborhood woke up, and those neighbors— woke up as well. And they watched me come out of the house, not in clothes to start fixing up everything that had happened. They saw me in my work clothes getting ready to work and then driving off and being like, have fun. And I went to work. And the thing, though, that happened is I came home eight hours later to the tree not only off my car, but had cut up into pieces. What had happened was and that's my favorite. What happened was, like, our neighbors had watched me leave, and instead of him going back to bed, what he did is he got together all of his chainsaw, all of his yard equipment, because he was a landscaper, and he got all of his equipment that he needed. He came over um, at a normal time, not 4 a.m., but about 7 o'clock, knocked on the door, and my wife's like, who is this? And it was our neighbor that we hadn't never met, and he said, can I take that tree off your car? And Ashley, holding our little Ellie, crying because he doesn't know how she's going to get to work, and like, sure. And so he begins to cut this tree off of my car, cut all the limbs into little pieces so that we can start to remove it later. I come home, and my wife tells me after she gets back that it was our neighbor. It was that neighbor, those neighbors who came over here. The perfect love that we receive is the one that we need to offer. And here's the thing. I would love to say that I was the one who was the creator of the moment of perfect love happening between me and my neighbors. The truth is, God can use whoever he wants to administer his perfect love. Whoever he absolutely wants. That we as followers of Jesus do not hold all the cards of perfect love. 
You are not the distributors of perfect love. You are not the holders, the, the authors of all of it. It is Christ, and Christ is able to use whoever he wants. And in that moment, as me and my wife were looking at all the things, probably more me than my wife, looking at all the ways that we had been in fear of our neighbors, of who they were, of who they are so different than us, the fears that they had for, for we had for them, that the fears that they probably had for us. Like how much did that, he watching me, that I would get up on Sunday and go to church. Oh, he's that type of Christian. Oh, they find out he's a pastor because you know neighbors talk. Oh, he's that pastor, right? Oh, he's that type of husband that leaves when chaos is around him. Like, he is that husband, right? All the fears that not only that I had, but they had for us. And he is the one in God's perfect love surrounding him is the one who builds it into our neighborhood. The one who invites our uh, family into this, uh, this perfect love that casts out all fear. That it wasn't me, but it was my neighbor. It was that neighbor that invited me to say perfect love lives here. It was in that moment that all the fear that I had ever had about who they were, who they could be, or who they were going to be, and who they had been, drowned out. It's like the song we sing. Perfect love casts out all fear. And in that moment, all fear of who they were, who they could be, was gone. And it was at that moment that I said, perfect love lives here in my house. Not because I created it, not because I authored it, not because I own it, and not because I distribute it, but because God had oriented my life back to his perfect love. And in that moment, I can't tell you the beautiful relationship. I don't have enough time to tell you all that happened between us and that family. They know it. I know it. It was a beautiful relationship that things were able to, perfect love was able to cast out all those fears that they had of Christians, that I had of renting neighbors. And we came together and found a family who we dearly loved. That when we went to Connecticut, the first, one of the first families that we came back and saw was them. Not our church. We went back to our neighborhood and we saw them. Because they had introduced perfect love of what it looks like to be a neighbor to us. And we were then in change able to create a space of perfect love that existed in our neighborhood. That changed us, that marked us. Perfect love decided that it was going to unlock my heart and take all the fear that had been built up around all of my neighbors and was going to take it and put it in the trash. Not put it on the counter can I say that? Some of us take that, that perfect love comes in, and instead of taking it out of our heart and throwing it in the heat bin and the garbage to be taken out, what we do is we put it on the counter so when that perfect love doesn't fully be perfect, we take that fear and we put it back into our heart. But if you believe in Jesus, but if you believe in who he says he is and who he was and who he is going to be as he returns, if perfect love drives out all fear, you can't put your fear on the counter in order to be replaced back into your heart. Perfect love enters in the room. It unlocks your heart, takes all that fear and puts it in the trash. It removes it far from your heart, far from your neighborhood. And perfect love is the key that unlocks the door to your house to say, you are welcome in my space, in my place. Church, 
my hope in prayer is that we as followers of Jesus, as disciples, first off and more, most importantly, whether you stay here for the next 40 years or 40 days or 40 hours and go somewhere else, my prayer for you is that you will be known more for how you love than how you fear. That will be the light in the darkness. Because we are often known more for what we fear than how we love. And then secondly, my prayer for PLCC is we would be known as a neighboring church. That the people of PLCC, not because Austin says so, but because God has so created that we fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is why we are here this morning. That is why we continue to gather together in small groups and groups to do life together, to follow this way of Jesus, to follow this way of love. But then people say, man, they go out and they live it in every place. They don't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to hold and to, to hold on to all that perfect love. They go out to love their neighbors as themselves. That as you have received this perfect love, maybe, maybe we fear. I just had to stop. Maybe you fear because you haven't experienced perfect love. Maybe you fear your neighbors and other people. Maybe you fear people in this room because you haven't fully experienced and accepted and lived fully lavished by this perfect love that Jesus offers you. Because you and I could have been those people to God. You Gentiles, those people should never be able to receive my perfect love. Those people are so far outside of the reach of God that those people can hardly understand the depth, the width, the height of my perfect love. But Jesus looked at you and said, No. You can receive my perfect love. That I loved you. That fear didn't rule my life. That Jesus didn't sit up in the heavens in fear and say, if I come down, am I going to have to include them? Jesus came and said, for God so loved the world, not because he feared the world, not because he feared his creation, that God so loved the world that he came and gave his only son so that we might know love. Maybe you fear because you don't know Jesus. And because you don't know Jesus, you don't know perfect love. And I'm asking that because even though you come to church, it doesn't mean you know Jesus. I tell my students all the time, you can know a lot about Jesus and know nothing of Jesus. You can know a lot about perfect love and not know perfect love. That was my experience. I knew a lot about perfect love as a pastor, as a seminary graduate, as an MDiv, as an ordained pastor. I knew a lot of it, but I experienced it through my neighbors. I experienced this perfect love that drove out all fear. And it changed me. Because now I don't operate in those neighbors or those people. The guy that walks around shirtless that gives weird looks. That's fine. Jesus loves him. Created him. He bears the image of the invisible God. And I will love him. 
I will love the person that drives crazy fast through our neighborhood. That is me, right? Because the Lord loves him and made him, and he reflects and holds the divinity of God within him because God abides in me. That he bears the image. My hope in prayer is that for us, to be the neighbors that God has called us to be, to fulfill the greatest commandment, to cast out all fear. Church, you need to know perfect love. It wasn't what we sang. Perfect love, it unravels me. All my fears are gone because I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of the living God whose perfect love allows us to run from wherever we've been in to the arms of the Father, who says, you are loved, you are welcomed, you are accepted. This is the love that your neighbors need. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, as we sit in this play, God, this plague of fear, last two years of what's been going on in the world, what's going on now with the tensions in, in Eastern Europe. God, you... We need a good dose of your perfect love. God, our eyes need to be opened, our ears need to hear that your perfect love is good. But God, my biggest prayer right now, the thing that I long with all my heart, is to not have information that tells me more about you. But I want an intimate relationship that allows me to dwell with you. to dwell with perfect love that I've longed for all of my life that somehow seems to fall short in every relationship that I have. I want to dwell with you. I want you to unravel me. I want you to take the tensions that war at my heart and to lay them aside because your perfect love is present. God, I pray that my heart would be transformed by your perfect love. God, I don't want anything but you. I don't need more information about who you are. I have everything I need. I just need you. I just need you. And I pray that that's our church. Maybe you today, right now, whether you're here in person or online, maybe you came in from information and I tell you, you don't need it. You just need Jesus. Maybe you say in this moment in your heart, God, I just want you. I just want you. You. You, Jesus, you.
And I will sit here as long as it takes for you to show up, for you to speak, for you to tear down all the walls that I have a fear of who you are and who I think you are and the ways that you've let me down. I will sit and wait. We will breathe the intoxicating air of the perfect love of Jesus Christ that fills this room. That fills every one of us. No one is too far. No one has done too much to be out of reach of the perfect love of Christ. God, may we bask in it. That we are loved and beloved children of the Most High God, the King of Kings. We ask this in your name. Amen.